0: Welcome to the Positive Populist Podcast, and here is my guest. I'm so excited. It's Charlie Kirk, founder of Turning Point
1: USA. Steve, it's great to be able to talk without the hard stops.
0: There you go. And uh, here's my first question. Sure. Are you, Charlie Kirk, a positive populist?
1: Oh, without a doubt. I might describe it a little different than you. Okay. But, um, well, you said yes immediately. So what does it mean to you when you hear that? What do well, you think first, that? I love the word positive, because I think we need to be more optimistic and more just... Um, Hopeful in the way we message our ideas okay. and, and a populist that a doubt as long as it's populism around good ideas Okay, the, the populism that scares me is the fake populism of Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren And so where it gets mislabeled as that. I wouldn't obviously okay Well, myself. we'll get
0: into that in a minute lots to dive into but the other thing we're, we're speaking on a day where I read mm-hmm. that you I think that I'm going to try and recall this phrase right, have the biggest megaphone. You are the biggest megaphone on the right of center of politics. You literally it, on have... On Twitter, yes. Okay, on Twitter. No, but this is very yeah. interesting. And so they went through the... Uh, I, I don't know who compiled this data. Who.
1: Axios, which okay. is
0: pretty And it was reputable. looking at um, engagements Im- on Twitter. You know, mm-hmm. who, who are people sort of listening to and responding to and yes. engaging with on Twitter? The whole country. Number one, Donald Trump. Uh-huh. No surprise there. And I think number two was... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's right. Again, no surprise. She's really made a name for herself um, on social media. But there you were with, I, th- I think, something like six times as much engagement as someone who would be very familiar to a lot of people who um, uh, watch and listen to Fox News, Sean Hannity. That's correct, yes. So how did this happen? How did you become one of the biggest stars on the center-right well, of American
1: I, politics? I appreciate thank, thank you. That's very nice. Um, well, at least on social media, I've... Um, I focus on it, and seem with Alexandria Ocasio. No, no, okay, okay, okay. But,
0: I'm not talking about the technical. i okay. Like
1: how, like how did okay, you get so to I, this yeah. point? It's an amazing. Th- thank you. I mean, look, journey I, you've had. Right. So I've been in this for six and a half years. Uh-huh. Um, I have a uniquely American story. Okay. And my story is exactly why I fight so hard to preserve, you know, what I believe is the greatest country ever to exist and the greatest culture ever to um, have been experimented with and my story is I started when I was this organization I was 18 years old mm-hmm. I decided not to go to college mm-hmm. with no money no connections and no idea what I was doing right but a relentless work ethic and a vision that an organization you started turning at, point. turning point USA okay. an organization and a movement could be created yeah. around the ideas of limited government constitution and american exceptionalism and essentially to fight back against a lot of the culturally marxist forces in our universities
0: so it's focused on universities mm-hmm.
1: but in you're not actually at a
0: university i never went to you never went to college so you're 18 and you say right i'm going to set up an organization that's mm-hmm. going to campaign for these ideas that's right on campuses right. right but you you can't i mean like what led to what kind of person does that
1: Someone who had their kind of life altered in a way they wouldn't have imagined. So before that, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Uh-huh. So that was my lifelong ambition. And I was an Eagle Scout, football, basketball captain, involved in my local community, really good grades. And I got my congressional nomination to go. But the way it works is it to, to go to, where? To, West, to West? West Point. Yeah. So it's, oh, a, wow. it's a two-step process. Uh-huh. And so I got my nomination, but I didn't get appointed. And it ended up being the best thing that never happened to me. And I was kind of forced to ask myself, what do I want to do with my life? And the idea of borrowing a bunch of money and going to schools I wasn't passionate about just didn't interest me. Mm, and, that is interesting. And so I've always been an entrepreneur. But were you
0: and, on that, would, would, would that have been a surprising, I mean, like, how surprising was it based on the track you are on? I mean, where did you grow up? Where? where
1: uh, you? The northwest suburbs of Chicago, so uh-huh. the
0: Midwest of the country. And what kind of um, upbringing was it? Was it a pretty conventional one or unusual in certain yeah, ways? I,
1: I guess conventional um in the terms of you know two-parent household uh-huh. both parents worked um upper middle class my dad's an architect my mom's a mental health psychiatrist but it not a overly political household by any means right um they voted they might watch you know bill o- they used to watch bill o'reilly okay. once or twice you know a week that kind of household you know but it wasn't activistic it wasn't laid
0: on with I see that that's interesting because i had the same experience like i
1: um yeah and i read it in your book it's very in interesting
0: way, you know which is working people a little, little bit kind of
1: you and know, education was hungry. your way was your way to get to yeah. That next my parents level. Were
0: Hungarian, are Hungarian, mm-hmm. Hungarian, and um, and the my father died, my stepfather's also Hungarian. My whole background Hungarian, so I had that kind of background of anti-communism, if you just yes. use it. And so that there's a little bit of that, but not at all political. And so you had the same. It sounds like not political. That's right.
1: And, and so, so it was definitely it was just there in the background. Is well, what you, well, yeah. They taught good values first and foremost, uh-huh. not even politics. So tell the truth, work hard, treat other people well. This is a great country. You can do anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, don't blame other people for your problems. And these these are fundamental Judeo-Christian Western values, mm-hmm. which, of course, are now translating into conservative values. Yeah, but not everyone then at age 18 says, right, I'm going to set up an organization to campaign for these values. Sure, sure. That was that was unique. But, but what, um, had you been... In, interested in politics before oh yeah then. That, without a doubt it. yes from very very young age 13 or 14 years old uh-huh. i was very very captivated by politics and the the discussion of it the debate and the yeah, collision me of too. ideas
0: I, I mean what what's that about right some from?
1: people love music and some uh-huh. people are very good at sports and others such as ours we just are fascinated by the process and the and the debate of it and the collision of, of these different values and ideas and mm-hmm. you just lean into it. Um, and politics attracts really bad people at times, but sometimes, you know, very talented people. Right. And um, I, I got very lucky and I saw a small little sliver of a door opening and I took it. And so so you borrowed the money, you got mm-hmm. going. Were you still in Chicago at this point? Yeah, in, Chicago, in the suburbs?
0: That's right. Then what happened?
1: I traveled the Midwest for 65 days straight for, uh, to visit Tea Party rallies and Republican group
0: so when was this what you This was in the
1: summer of 2012. I was um, oh,
0: 2012.
1: I right. was 18 years old. Uh-huh. No college degree. I just got my high school diploma. Um borrowed a couple thousand bucks in my 2002 Ford Silver Explorer that got 11 miles per gallon. Right. And um had some really good mentors along the way that popped up. Got very lucky um and along the way, but one of my biggest breaks was a byproduct of a risk I took which I borrowed more money to go down to the Republican National Convention mm-hmm. in August of 2012. In Tampa? In Tampa Bay, I was Florida. There. Yeah. Remember, there was a hurricane the first That's day. That's right, yeah. So here's the fun story I tell. I was 18 years old. Um, I didn't quite understand Tampa geography, so I was staying in Bradenton, which is mm-hmm. like an hour and a half away. Um, I couldn't rent a car because I was 18, so I failed miserably, so I had to okay. take a bus to Bradenton. And then I thought you could buy tickets into the convention. Like, <laughs> I thought it was a sporting event with scalpers, you know, so my... Trip started wonderfully. Um, It was a learning experience for me of how to be in total desperation mode, try to find and catch your break. Uh And it it happened to me in the most just divine way. And I'm a very spiritual, religious person, but Uh I don't mean to overly proselytize on it. But I saw a guy in a stairwell by the name of Foster Freeze. Uh He was wearing a cowboy hat. And um, I recognized him from a previous speech I saw him give earlier in the summer mm-hmm. and I went up to him and I gave him the sales pitch except it was in stairwell. so it was the stairwell pitch. And he wrote me a $10,000 check. Wow. And so so this is so how long before that had you started turning point? 60 days, two months? So this wow. this, this is early August. Okay. I, uh, the dates you know yeah yeah, you yeah, can yeah find, sure. obviously, but, but roughly early days. so you're there.
0: And, he, and are you in the convention at this point? Where so, is this So, st- so this world? was in
1: the convention, but I didn't get into the convention until the last day because I had to barter my way in to right. <laughs> do things that was quite, on very entrepreneurial, almost, you know, going to different bars outside of the Tampa gates and asking people if they would give me their passes, pass for a couple hours. That's where, wow. and I struck gold one day and someone yeah. was like, yeah, sure. You seem like a nice enough guy, you know, and I gave him some money as collateral because they had yeah. a meeting and. I'll never forget them. And I don't want to publicly say their None name because, you know, but, amazing. and then they let me go into the convention for a couple hours uh-huh. just to, cause that's where all the action was, as you remember. Yeah. 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 And that's where I met Foster Fries. So he, he put some money in $10,000. Yeah. Okay. And then what happened? Then I had enough to at least form a website and uh-huh. a logo. And I recruited a couple other young people online to buy into this vision that yeah. we don't have to be automatically liberal, that the youth conservative movement is in need of massive revitalization mm-hmm. and the entrepreneurial spirit needs to be alive and well within American politics. And I write about this in my book, but there's a lot of ups and downs. But the long and short of it is…
0: just Tell, tell us the name of the book for people that haven't got it uh, Time
1: for a Turning Point okay, is great. the name of the book, which is kind of the odyssey of this story. Mm-hmm. But to give people the idea, six and a half years later now, mm-hmm. um, we have a $20 million year budget now. Mm-hmm. 135 people on staff were present on 1,400 campuses across the country. Had 3,000 plus people at our annual meeting in Palm Beach, Florida. So it's it's the it's America's largest conservative grass center right conservative grassroots movement. amazing. Um, it's an amazing. I mean, it's only in America scenario. is that possible. And that's what that's why I fight so hard for so what I do. So tell me
0: how you connected with the well with you know President Trump mm-hmm. personally. That's correct. Yes. How you connected with the president and the Trump
1: movement more generally. Sure. Did,
0: what was the story of the last? I, I guess the second half of yeah, the turn, Turning Point exactly. life,
1: Lifetime. And so one of the breaks that I got along the way mm-hmm. is once we were you know, growing and raising some money, um, one of our donors suggested I speak at the Republican National Convention mm-hmm. um, in the summer of 2016. So it's, the conventions are always where All these right, things okay. happen. Lesson for anyone listening, that's got to go where the actions go there. happen, yeah. wherever it is in the world. So I went and I spoke, and I was the youngest speaker at the Republican convention in 2016. So who asked you again? Uh, one, one of, of our the... one of our donors was really— uh, uh-huh. Connected into the— Yeah, and he just loved it. I was, you know, I, I spoke at some obscure time at like uh-huh. 1 o'clock in the afternoon on like the first day. Right. I was like the fourth speaker when everyone was still sweeping the floor, getting things ready, and they were rolling carpet, right? Uh, <laughs> but it was still an official speaker. It was after the gaveling in, so uh-huh. it was an official speaker. And then I met Donald Trump Jr. right after that. And in we, the arena? Mm-hmm. And, and we connected. Instantaneously, uh-huh. and we didn't really have a time to really sit down and meet. But, but then, that itself is quite unusual. Was he there because? Well, because of his father. It was the no, not, but
0: in terms of that slot, because well, he, he was watching it. He was serendipitous. He was watching have, it
1: on one of the uh, live feeds because they had cameras everywhere. Right. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting guy. And then we can we just. By kiss, uh, by total serendipity, met in the hall and was like, "Hey, good speech." Oh, thank you so much. Right. And I gave him my card, and he's like, "Yeah, stop by Trump Tower. I'd love to meet you sometime." Uh uh-huh. And so then a couple of weeks later, I took him up on it, and we hit it off so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm a huge. I mean, he's now become a very close friend, mm-hmm. and. The story is really remarkable where I asked him what the youth effort was for the 2016 campaign Mm -hmm. and he kind of shrugged his shoulders and he said, we really don't have a youth effort for our campaign. I said, well, let me do it. I don't need any money. Just let me take it on. He said, sure, I'll do you one better. He said, you seem like you're a nice enough guy and you're qualified. How about you just travel the country with me? And if I like you, you'll keep doing it. If I don't, you won't hear from me again. I said, okay, So I kind of became his bag carrier and Diet Red Bull retriever and Diet Coke, you know, gatherer Uh and took selfies for him and pictures. And so I traveled the country with Don Jr. for 70 straight days. Oh, wow. Yeah. After the convention. Right. No, you went right after the convention. So this was mid-August. Right. To because the conventions were in July. Yeah. In uh, 2016. And so from mid-August to election day, mm-hmm. I was running the youth efforts of the campaign. I still had Turning Point, but it was it wasn't where it was today. It was a three million dollar organization. It was something I was able to take a seventy day hiatus mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. And I became the bag carrier for Don Jr. And this and I just it's so funny because you you would this will resonate with you. The experts and the elites in my life, mm-hmm. the you know the well the very wealthy elites, not all of them, but most of them said I was making the biggest mistake of my life. So what Tr- kind of people? Just. Wall Street finance people. Let's wow. put what are it that you doing way. with Wall Street finance people? Well, some of them still love what Turning Point USA is doing. So, the,
0: so you mean donors that
1: you? Yes, and they still That's support so us. But they right. saw that I was starting to travel the country with Don okay. Jr. I was popping up in the back of pictures around him, and I was oh. tweeting about being with him, and they were giving me elderly advice and saying, "You should not be doing this. This is a huge mistake. You know, he's going to lose catastrophically." You're always well, How gonna... how late into the process was this? Even days before. Wow, so all the way through the campaign. Sure. And some people that I remember were giving me just more somber counsel like the be careful and then others were he's great, he's going to win. Very few people said that. Very few people. Uh-huh. Um but look, throughout the campaign and Don Jr is one of the greatest people. I'm telling you, I've spent so much time with him. He feels bad like when he can't take enough selfies with people in a crowd. Right. That's the type of person he is. He he was a hunter and fisher his Why do you think, Okay, that's interesting yeah. to say that cuz
0: why do I mean and I want to come to 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 the um, the kind of grief that's been sort of directed your way as well. Sure. But, but he gets a ton of it. I mean, oh, he's yes. a really big target for the the hate and the criticism. Yes. Um, in in some ways, I think more than the president. There's something seems very personal about
1: mm-hmm. it. You know him. Why, why do you think that is? It's vicious. Yeah. Well, first of all, they see that he's a very effective voice, and he is. I mean, I've seen him pack college campus arenas, three, 4,000 students. Mm-hmm. And the joke he always gives is, you do know it's Don Jr. coming here, right? And the right. whole place erupts in laughter. And the left is very irritated by effective voices. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they will bring in the cavalry quickly when they see people that are resonating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that firsthand. Um, but, but secondly, they look at it as a way to get to the president. And they look at it as, you know, we might not be able to ruin the president today, but maybe we can make his life horrible by ruining his kid's life by writing the articles, by Mm -hmm. trying to assail the character. Um, And look, I've spent more time with Don Jr. on the political road than anybody else, Mm -hmm. except maybe one of the guys named Tommy Hicks, Mm -hmm. who is now going to be the co-chair of the Republican Party. And I can tell you, he is one of the most down-to-earth, just genuine people. And I know that that term down-to-earth is so overused, Mm -hmm. But a great example is, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is we're at college campuses and the secret services, we gotta go, we gotta go. And he's like, oh, I feel bad I couldn't take pictures of all people there. And that's not just BS political yeah. vapor. This is back ch- this is private conversations with, oh man, all these students came out to come see me. You know, Next time, let's build in more time so we could do the entire click line. There's nobody else in politics that even that 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 does that. I mean, he jumps into crowds to meet people and to sign posters and to do favors. And he's almost automatically in the posture of, yes, I want to help other people. Mm -hmm. And he just gets such a misrepresentation of that in the media. And so and so I've gone to bat for him many times because he, he earned it. and He's a good person. And then in really we won the election by such a surprise. He kind of was like, Charlie, you were there. You know, you believed, how can I help you? And I said, Well, I think it helps everybody the country, your father, the president, the movement, and you if Turning Point becomes the hottest thing out there. Mm-hmm. And he said, Great, let's do it. Right. And so he started to speak at our events and, you know, introduce us to more donors. And uh-huh. we went from 3 million to 20 million, 600 campuses to 1,400 campuses, 30 staff to 130 staff, so on and so Wow. That's really interesting. And then tell us about the
0: connection with the president. Sure. How did that, do you remember when you first met him and what that yeah, was Yeah, like? I
1: mean, I met him a couple times during the campaign. Mm-hmm. And then as he became president, um, you know, Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka and Jared started talking favorably about what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And he saw a lot more of my, you know, Twitter presence and saw me more in Fox News and what I was saying. I think he agreed with, you know, some of the commentary, which is, Trying to synthesize really hard to understand ideas and palatable talking points. As you can mm-hmm. see, I try mm-hmm. to do that on on your show, and that's something I pride myself on, which mm-hmm. is a- able to bring irrefutable truth to the common man, which is something he does really so well. What um, about the 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 people who told you not to get involved? Sure. Some of them are still close friends because I've made mistakes before in my life, and I understand that. And how do they see it now? Do you? I mean, very favorably. Yes. They deny they ever told me not to. Know. They, you know, <laughs> of course, they. Cheat, you know, I don't want to embarrass them or put them on the spot, but it does go to show that I believed in my core. I was making the right decision. But the, the interesting thing about that
0: is that, and it's it's in, in a way how we started, which is that and 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 also why those people would react like that, which mm-hmm. is that the Trump campaign was not like was you know it's different from the traditional. Sure. Conservative yes. Republican thing, and when you started out, you said, "Well, I'm going to start something." This is pre-Trump, right? This is 2012. You're mm-hmm. talking about um, something that would really promote conservative ideas, and now you find yourself right at the heart of something that a lot of conservatives say that is not conservative. This sure. is something else. This is some people use the label populist, others something mm-hmm. a bit more, you know, insulting. But there's a lot of people who say this isn't conservative. So as someone who started out a, a sure. pro-conservative movement, how do you handle? Well, I still consider that?
1: myself a conservative. Um, I've changed on some issues, mm-hmm. which which I'm not afraid to talk about. The evolution of you know my own personal perspective on certain issues, specifically China and trade. Okay. Um, I used to think, oh, it's fine if we're exchanging goods for goods with China, you know. This yeah. was this was a purely, you know libertarian free market approach. And I've totally changed on that. I think China's our number one geopolitical enemy. I mean, I I totally agree with that. They're ripping us off. They're hacking our cyber grid. They're infiltrating universities. Um, They're still classified as a developing nation or the world trade organization. Um, They manipulate their currency, so on and so forth. I've changed my opinion on um, a lot of the middle East. Mm -hmm. I think um, we should be withdrawing our troops Mm -hmm. from places like Afghanistan and Syria. I, I differ a little bit with the White House on our posture of Saudi Arabia. I think Saudi Arabia is a great enemy of the United States. Uh-huh. 15 out of 19 of the hijackers were Saudi Arabian. They financed it. They funded it. They kicked our troops out right after 9-11, and they had to seek refuge in another country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, so I guess you could say my my immediate posture is always try to tend in the direction of individual liberty and freedom. That has not changed whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I think you would agree that the individual and the defense of the individual and individual rights is what makes Western society different. Where I have, where I've changed, I guess you could say is that we should not always be as dogmatic Mm -hmm. as some when you, when you approach some of these issues and you have to ask yourself the honest question, are we, are we creating policies just around blanket, you know, blanket talking point Mm -hmm, white papers, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or are these policies actually advancing our core ideas? So a great example would be like the welfare state. Mm -hmm. So some people on the left would say, oh, it's a very pro-family thing. It gives Mm -hmm. single mothers, you know, money. And so it's actually broken the American family. Yeah. Right. And so that would be an example of that. But China is like a great example of. No, no, I I think it's really interesting. But what about the the argument that you get from some conservatives and I'm say, still consider myself a yeah, conservative. Yeah, yeah, but
0: yeah. that you've got, um, and actually, you know, look at someone like Laura Ingram, for example. Interestingly, she, she I love literally, Laura. Yeah, yes, yes, and she uses the term conservative populist that sure. she, as a as sure. a as a distinct term, which I think really does have meaning mm-hmm. and is interesting. Um, I talk about positive
1: populism. You know, we're uh, all we're all running the same. And again, I read your book, and I think all, it's brilliant. The the, the choice you. part of it, and the anti-corruption, and the national service, I totally agree with. I found very little I disagreed with. So, on the what do you make of the criticism that's often leveled at, at the
0: president about how his tone and his manner and the way he talks about institutions
1: and so on? Um, that's not conservative. But completely and totally irrelevant. Right. If your lifesaver is taught, if the person who's saving you from the deep end of the pool because you can't swim might not talk nicely, does that right. really matter to you? Right. You know, look, to me personally, I actually like at times how he can be tough mm-hmm. and that he can punch back twice as hard because for far too long, middle America has not had a fighter in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And one, one analysis that... I use frequently is that the wealth has been centered so dramatically around Washington DC and the surrounding counties, eight out of 10 of wealthiest counties in America around Washington DC. The the Democrat party won 73 out of hundred of the uh, wealthiest counties in America in the midterm election. Hillary Clinton won 80% of the wealthiest counties in America. So what is that really saying is that Republicans, you now own the American working class. That's what it means. Yeah. And why it's not because, of more white papers. It's just not. It's because of one guy, Donald Trump, who talked about the Disenfranchising of the American worker, who talked about poorly created trade deals, who talked about the opioid epidemic, and maybe closing our southern border to stop the flow of drugs and crime, mm. to talk about immigration in a stance that's pro-American, which is that our country is distinct and our culture should be preserved and protected, and and people horribly assail that in the media and misrepresent that for what it's not.
0: It's, you put it really well, and I think it's one of the reasons that I have a lot of sympathy for. The, I mean, I, I don't know the president, you know, but if you, one of the things, maybe you can correct me, but one of the things you you hear a lot, you read about, is that he does get frustrated. One of the reasons he gets frustrated with all the Russia focus is that, in some sense, that's trying to delegitimize his victory. Oh, without a doubt. Achieved. And actually, when you think about these incredible substantive shifts on so many policy areas. it is absolutely a phenomenal political whether you agree with it or not just purely as a he literally single-handedly without any think tanks or or the white papers and policy experts and all the rest of it that Mm -hmm. as you just said shifted the you know one of the great political parties in the greatest democracy in the world for the better uh, it, yeah, but even if you don't agree that it's for sure. the better, you still just acknowledge the scale
1: of that political Yes, it's a remarkable achievement. achievement. It's amazing. And so here's the, if someone's listening to this and they say, boy, I hate Trump, what, you know, blah, 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 blah. Here, here's the beauty of it is that it should give you hope that things can change. Yeah. Because I fell into the hypnosis for a couple years when Obama got reelected mm-hmm. that maybe things can't change. Maybe we have lost And that's such such a dangerous place of pessimism to be living in. But the hope of Donald Trump for even a committed leftist is Mm -hmm. a, a political party can go through a revolution. That a guy can wake up one day in New York and go down an escalator and completely change the trajectory of American politics. Ruling class be damned. Philosopher kings are done. Their ivory towers are crumbled. One guy with a plane, a bunch of money, and great ideas can change the face of American politics. That should give everybody hope it really should because we, we there there is a there is a cynicism that is being taught in some of the under the undercurrent or the deep web which is that nothing will ever change and there's a ruling class of oligarchs that control Mm -hmm. everything you Mm kind of heard those subtexts or oh nothing will get better and you hear this every so often right and from the the cynical people i don't vote you know there's people that say i never vote because things don't change no trump shows you things can change yeah it's interesting isn't it
0: I i think that's so right and i think the other thing that really resonated i just want to sort of highlight from what you said earlier is your I mean I didn't use exactly this word, but uh, what well, I think you, what you, you were getting at was that it's, it's very pragmatic compared to some of the previous sure. approaches we've seen on the right. and that's one of the things that I really like about it. having been myself quite ideological in the past, I mean I've been on this journey too sure. you know I started out um, working for, you know, for a very, in a very traditional way for conservative politicians and working yeah. in 10 Downing Street for, in, in the UK for a conservative prime minister and it was and, and I made a similar journey sure. from that kind of pretty much accepting the basic kind mm-hmm. of you know ideological precepts of, of a conservative position to realize you know what actually some of these things haven't worked out that well for yeah.
1: regular working people and we
0: need to need something different
1: and against again i live my life in a conservative capacity and i ideologically i consider myself a conservative and libertarian in some issues but and here, here's why every everyone listening to this that you know the analysis of Trump needs to be really put simple. Is um, he went he went forth in things in such an unconventional manner, ideologically, and asked the question, "Is this working?" Yeah. And so, who was like an ideological conservative president? Well, they said George W. Bush was supposed to be. Hold on a second two horrible wars mm-hmm. horrible wars the iraq war was probably one of the worst mistakes made in american history one of the worst the afghanistan war which has been going on my entire life and still the generals wanted to continue ran up the that's debt an amazing da- way to put it by the way isn't it your entire life i, I know nothing but war in my adult in my entire amazing. life since i was since i was in kindergarten my, my my life has been not my life but my generation knows nothing but perpetual war. Mm, mm. um Medicare Part D, which was a total disaster and a handout to the drug companies, the pharmaceutical lobby, ran up debts and deficits. Every government bureaucracy was just exploded. Lobbyists ran amok. He delegated the power to, you know, some would say the vice president's office that allowed a lot of outside interests to, you know, to grow that was a conventional conservative he gave us john roberts is that a conventional conservative right so you can make the argument even if you are a doctrinaire conservative trump has been far more conservative than those that consider themselves conservative so what does that mean that these terms mean nothing that the terms that we used for many years were really rooted in rigid rigid mm-hmm. dogmatic you know, just very century, you know, just just decade old thinking that we just fall into this false pattern with, yeah. when in reality, what Trump has delivered is what conservatism really is, which is a common sense analysis and a rational way to think about public policy, while also, of course, defending the individual rights. The best justices we've seen, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch are terrific, amazing circuit court judges to uphold the rule of law. And then also Thinking has what we've been doing on the foreign policy stage helped us? No, it just hasn't. Yeah. And renegotiating NATO and challenging Russia's pipeline to Germany that we talked about and canceling the Iran deal and sitting down with the table with Korea—it's it, it, one of the most effective foreign policy doctrines ever in American history—and he gets no credit for it. I know, it, it, and, and 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 you can extend it to the well. I
0: mean, right. I mean, that that sort of failure to give him credit. Um, is is pathological? It seems to me on no, the. No, it part,
1: really is because the left used to hate war.
0: And and actually, even if you look at, exactly like you exactly, it's I did like, that on my show. when I you know when when you know tr- Trump got slammed for the over Madison Syria and pulling out of Syria and everything. And, and well, hang on a second, right? You literally find clips of Rachel Maddow going on about how she wrote a book about right, it. Right, literally, she that, has a whole book that's actually a very thoughtful book. Yes, in fact, you literally, <laughs> that is literally the clip that I used I, on I, my I show. I missed that. Which is. Yeah. Heard at, it's from a few years ago because it's got her book cover and the yes. back, cover, look talking about her book. And it's just and the cost of war
1: and PTSD and all other, that. Yeah. you know the the, the you know
0: the the, the the way that Democrats, for example, um, you know constantly think of have thought of themselves as the, as the, you know they talk about blue co- you know, workers and and and, and 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 labor and all the rest of it, manufacturing. Yes. And actually, these huge historic turnarounds that you see, it's just. Um, Absolutely unbelievable. Look, we could go on forever about it, but I want to, I just, I know, I just want to quickly ask you to look ahead. Sure. And the future of this movement, Um, I'm not, I'm not talking about sort of political predictions and who's going to win this or that election. Just long term, where do you think, in in, in fact, even, you know, at some point, Donald Trump will not be president, whether that's, you know, in a couple of years or in six years, there'll be a point when he's not the president.
1: What then for this movement? That he started. It will live on. And it will live on um, because of people like you and people like me. And the common denominator, the, 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 the most important takeaway of the whole Trump movement is, should we be a country that rewards monetarily and philosophically and through power structures, a clustered group of elites that live in one geographic area? Or do we actually believe in decentralized power and asking objectively, are the people, are the majority of the American people, are the people that go to work every day, are their lives getting better? and and if not why and you know and that, that that essence the challenging of key institutions that Trump has brought the questioning of the media that will live on for the next 100 years and so and i and I, and someone asked me in an interview they said Charlie will trumpism live on i said well it matters what you define trumpism but if it means good ideas then absolutely that's going to live on because he has now he has now really brought forth a new generation of american yeah. leadership and you know i hope that our organization will be part of it that will begin to again represent the people from missouri and from iowa and ohio and kansas and that have been consistently ignored by the DC ruling class and that's really what they are. They are a ruling class and that's what, what you do you know, on the Swamp Watch is so important is because they, they believe that there is a different set of rules as mm-hmm. soon as you get elected a certain position. I can exploit my constituents at all costs and I can get rich, my wife can get rich and I can become a lobbyist and I think that there's a there's a lot of reasons around that. And you offer solutions for it. Um, but the world is a safer place. And America is a stronger country, thanks to Donald Trump and his success and his results in the movement will live long beyond his presidency. Really interesting. I love
0: that's a brilliant way to end. And I just want to pull out one thing you said is so important. You, you, right at the beginning of that, where you talked about the concentration of power. The concentration of wealth—that I think is at the heart of what's I gone talk wrong. About it, I talk about it every day,
1: and that's what this is all about: is overturning that. Is it? It's a real so revolution. How, yeah, and so, so, how do you decentralize things? I could talk. This could be another thirty minutes, but if you talk, if you actually look at effective decentralizations, um, it happens through allowing disruption, which Trump is. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and, and it also talk it, it allowing questioning of dogma, which Trump does, and and finally. The, the wealthiest counties used to be around Detroit, Philadelphia, and Chicago. What did they make? Well, Detroit and Chicago specifically, automobiles and manufacturing, and they made stuff. What does DC make? Laws to make our life more difficult, lobbyists that have access to power, companies that get government contracts, that's what we want to reward. That's where we want to put you know, the gold medals of economic stature and success, how close you are to the capital? No, we never were that country. And we shouldn't be. We should be a country that rewards good ideas and entrepreneurship and, and social mobility and intergenerational stratification. And people's, and, and what, what else I love about Donald Trump is his unapologetic defense of the American ideal and the American culture. And I'm so sick and tired of the universities, which I'm focused on, which is somehow a racist, bigoted, homophobic, backwards country that has exploited millions of people and stole the land from indigenous people, all this. We are the greatest country ever to exist and the most exceptional culture ever to exist. And people ask me, I went to the UK actually a couple weeks ago. They said, what is the American culture? And I said, we're a meritocracy. You work hard and play by the rules. Your life will be better and your children's life will absolutely be better. That is what America is. Not every country has that guarantee. If you work really, really hard mm-hmm. in Bulgaria or Kazakhstan, maybe your kid's life will get better. Maybe, but in America, what policies are we creating to ensure the mm-hmm. meritocracy? And, as, and if we can restore that, or at least fight to pr- protect it, like Donald Trump is, um, then we will consider to, we will continue to preserve what I consider to be the greatest country and culture ever to exist.
0: All right. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that is positive populism. Amen. Okay. Very nice. Thanks, Steve. Great to see you. Thank you, Charlie. Amen. Appreciate it.